Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800-715-6093-800-715-6093-800-715-6093. That's 800-715-6093. This portion of TV Confidential is sponsored by The Misadventures of Biffle and Schuster, the hilarious site-splitting new DVD available through Kino Lorber. Thanks for powering our stream. Hi, this is John Barber, and you're listening to TV Confidential. But Robert, with a reminder that we will play more of our conversation with Marv Wolf, co-author of They Were Soldiers, later on in the hour. We have to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as we continue our look at This Week in TV History. This particular segment originally aired in June 2015 and takes a look at the series finale of Mad Men. The finale of Mad Men originally aired May 17, 2015. What did you think of the finale, and what did you think of the final half season in general? Okay, the final half season, I couldn't wait to get to it. I never thought they were going to end this show. I mean, I knew there was one more season, so I was relieved when it finally started airing. Then I was very sad that it was ending. I There had been so many rumors about Mad Men and where it was going to go that last half season, and in, including one I heard from a couple of people was uh, his ex, ex-wife. Which uh, one? The uh, Quebecois. Second okay. one. The actress. Megan. The, the actress getting mixed up with the Manson family, which I thought which was the actual. I thought that was the direction that they were going. Yeah. I actually thought it was kind of kind of funny. I'm glad they didn't go there. I'm glad they didn't go there either. Going back to Mad Men. Okay, okay so that, that was my impressions of the season. I was glad to see it happen. I was glad with the storylines of the major characters. There was one that may have been surprising to some, but probably most of us will say, yeah, saw it coming. Dawn, without saying anything, at first I did not like the end. I I remember I was sitting with Tony and I said, "Eh, let, let me watch that again. And I went, okay. And I think I slept on it, and it came down to one moment, one moment of clarity for Don Draper, and I went, okay, I'm happy, I'm satisfied. You know, it's interesting, and I didn't, it took me, it took me about two or three days before I found it. I mean, I, I watched it, I basically liked the ending, I didn't buy the immediate theory, which many people glommed on to the next day, including the TV critic for NPR, mm-hmm. who, who gave a very thoughtful response both on Morning Edition and in his own uh, regular column. But within a day, Salon.com retweeted a tweet from an advertising person in 
I believe she's based in Atlanta. Okay. And she did a screen grab of I think it was in it was it, it was in it was in one of the encounter sessions. You okay. Know? I mean, yes. Don Draper spends most of the final episode in an est like encounter in, in an echelon like encounter session. That's all we'll say to set this up. And this advertise I don't remember she maybe she was either a copywriter but or, or she works in advertising. She spotted something in that scene. She made a screen grab of it and then she tweeted it. And then she says that answers the question as to what the final scene really means. And I said good eye because I didn't see that. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, that's, so, that's worth checking out. I don't know. Um, after we finish recording, we will talk, and then I guess we have to revisit this six months down the road when everyone has seen the episode. <laughs> so when this, when this uh, gets posted, you need to have the link to that particular. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, 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 did, I, it, I posted it on our Facebook page. I, I will have to do a fresh post. Okay. But it is funny, the conversations that we were just having uh, – you know, Mad Men really proved without any doubt that people do like period pieces. Because just before Mad Men, the idea of any network executive giving a green light to anything that was a period piece, I think maybe the exception was Everybody Hates Chris. Because you had, you know, Chris Rock mm-hmm. pushing it. Yeah. Uh, Fox had uh, Oliver Bean, which was a, a period piece kind of, uh, you know, in the style of the Wonder Years, but not as classy. And, uh, I guess they were talking two comedies. Yeah, and there was, yeah, comedies. Also, there was something, um, what was it? Uh, it was it was kind of like set during the time of the Wonder Years, but it was about some uh, swapping it was, you know, basically it looked oh, like you went. Oh, it was it was on CB. It was a summer show on CBS. Yes, which looked really it, it, interesting. It, 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 it but at around 2008 or 2007. There was a lot of controversy bit. over the idea. Yeah. Uh, it basically, if you were in Kevin Arnold's neighborhood, drove down, <laughs> turned right, you would have found these families. And, and uh, you know, it, the thing is, I've known a few people who that was their upbringing. You know, they, they, they graduate high school and then they find out the guy they know as dad is not dad. The guy next door, the little league coach, was dad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you have somebody. This is my story. I want to tell my story. And people are saying, your story is bad. Your story is wrong. Your story is immoral. And, and, and you have, but. For a girl I, growing up in the Midwest, no, that only happens to people in California. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that it did happen there. But the point being is Mad Men was really the first one that showed, oh, yes, you can do something in a different time period. And notice right and after, right afterwards, we had the Playboy Club mm-hmm. and, and we had Pan, Pan Am. Same full circle. But people were having Mad Men viewing parties yeah. dressed in the the vintage stores. You know, those clothing stores, they were going nuts, not only the ones in L.A. selling to Mad Men, but selling to people having Mad Men parties. So it did show that this can be done. As you both know, for a period of about 10 years, I spent a lot of time with Roy Huggins, mm-hmm. uh, both writing my books and just, you know, uh, being friends with him. And Roy, Roy's theory, and this is based partially on his – the era in which he wrote and produced for television, which is the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, in, in, in through the early 80s. Roy always said the only period piece that works on television is the Western. Huh. And, and if you look at the first 30 years of network television, 
that more or less held true. The only show, I mean, uh, in, until in, until the Waltons came along, the only successful period shows were were westerns. Now, the Waltons kind of changed that, okay. you know, because it what year was the Waltons? Seventy three. Seventy three. Okay, where do you put Mash in that? Well, Mash was came on around that time, but I think the Untouchables would have counted as a successful period piece. Well, yes, I would agree. That's another exception. I mean, see, to me, I don't consider Mash a period piece. It's Even timeless. It, I mean, it is. Well, Mash, you really have to look at it at least for the Henry Blake years. Yeah, uh, which I think is just an interesting coincidence and not part of an overall agenda. For at least the Henry Blake years and the movie that preceded. They were really making a commentary on what was happening at the time yeah. in Vietnam. Now, I'm going to say this was purely coincidental at the time when Henry Blake's plane was shot down over the Sea of Japan. That was also at the time when it ended in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay, it just happened to happen at that time. And some of the focus was shifting when uh, B.J. Honeycutt and Colonel Parter came in. So it's not just the changing cast. The backdrop kind of shifted a little bit. Because, you know, the Vietnam War was over and the focus was more on commentary on war in general, where the first few years they were making commentary about the Vietnam War. It was just it's kind of like Snoopy and the Red Baron. At the time, Snoopy had to be fighting a war that had been long over (laughs) because that's the only way that you, you could show him. You could not show him even fighting World War II or Korea or anything like that. They said it was only appropriate if you set the time period way back. And it was the same thing with MASH. You could not, at that time, you could not tell that story if it was set in Vietnam present day. It just, nobody would let you do that. So, but you can do it as a period piece. But afterwards, yeah, the focus did shift a little bit and there was more war in general. And also the characters developed and you had more personal stories. And and yes, you also had Alan well, Alda we moved, having we more creative control. From, you know, we moved into the phase from when MASH was funny to when MASH stopped being funny. You know, but that's, well, that's, yeah. a, that, that's a subject for another conversation. Yes. Yeah, but that was you – know, also you kill a lead character. You can't go back. You can't unring the bell. That's true. You, you have sucked some of the comedy potential out of the show. They it, still did some brilliant work after they, that. They did – yeah, but I think you, know, you had a funny show and sometimes the show early on was funny for funny's sake. Now you had some really brilliant shows because time and experience and all these other things let you do that. You know, you have maybe some of the best episodes of a of a comedy only worked, like the Draft Dodger episode of All in the Family. Mm-hmm. That only worked because you knew all these people. You knew what they were about. You, you know, th- if that was the pilot, I don't think that would have worked. Also, okay. historically coincident, you know, a month later, everybody was pardoned. Uh, but it it... It you know it only works. Um, I would say you know one, some of these only work when you get to know those characters. You you know they they're part of your family. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us for this week in TV history. This particular segment originally aired in June 2015. We're taking a look at the series finale of Mad Men, the reaction it stirred at the time it was broadcast, and the influence of Mad Men on TV in general. Before we totally leave the subject of Don Draper and company, to me, I felt the real finale was the final episode of the first half season, which ended with um, uh, Robert Moore Moore. singing. Yeah. Yes. And and Don kind of having a a Don Draper type of moment as Robert Morse, as Burt Cooper, is singing the best things in life for free. You know, I, yeah. 
that was an ending. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was an ending. I mean, to me, the, the final batch of seven was, was somewhat anticlimactic. There was definitely an attempt to tie up certain loose ends. And if I'm reading Matthew Weiner's comments correctly in some of the interviews he's, he has given over the past year, I think there was an attempt to appease the audience, which yes, seems to be very I modern. Agree. I agree. And I, I like most of the choices. I, I, I particularly like what happened with Peggy. I was just thinking that. Because Peggy, yes. Peggy is my favorite character on that show other than Draper. And I, li- I like that she kind of got the bo- best of both worlds. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the storylines were rather neat, and we see the characters going on. I think we saw growth. Even, with the characters, we saw growth even even in Roger, and Roger was mm-hmm. you know R- R- Roger was the most Bob Crane like character on that show, and and in that he was a man who lived in the moment. He did not have a lot of naval. He did not have a lot of moments in naval gazing, but he did. In I, it was the, I don't remember whether it was the second whether it was the second to last episode or the third to last episode, the one that ended with him and Peggy in the empty building. Yeah. That was a great scene. They were just cutting loose. That was a yeah. great scene. That, was a, that, that whole sequence between the two of them, that was a great, that was great. Yeah, he, gave, he gave her the painting. Yes, he gave her the painting. That was hysterical. <laughs> I mean, you only glimpsed it, but it was like, oh, my God. And she did put it in her office. She did. She did. She did. And... And I think in many respects, it go, go, going back to the one character who's faced with a mortal ending, mm-hmm. going back to what you said, Donna, and that it was it was true to the character. Yes. And I, I think Peggy's ending was, was true to her character as well. Yes. I like what they did with Joan. Me too. I like what they did with Joan. And so life will go on. And you know Joan is a survivor. She's going to be a success. Yes. Joan, you know, you, you look at the character development of Joan and, and how she really represents the women's movement mm-hmm. from, you know, basically in a secretarial position to moving up the way she did in that time period. At, at the risk of reducing it to an ad line, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Virginia Slim. She's come a, a long, long way, way, baby. Yeah. But I think also it, it goes in a direction where – it was a series finale, but you see certain series finale where there's a definite finality to yeah. it. Uh, Will and Grace, Desperate Housewives more recently, it's like, okay, this is ending. You know, The women of Wisteria Lane all go off in different directions, yeah. and they never see each other again. And in that respect, it was, <laughs> yeah. it, it was an ending that was true to the character of the show mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. And I, I was even happy they gave Don Draper's daughter... Who had she had? I mean, that, that little girl has gone through a lot in a very yes. short period yes, of time. Has. Yet she had a full arc. Yes. And I was like, I am because a lot of times the kids are left out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are baggage of the adults. No, she stepped up to the plate. Yeah. Uh, her character stepped up to the plate. So she did. Yeah. L- literally. <laughs> so, I'm I'm wondering at this point if we have seen the end of this. Just because now there are so many opportunities for shows to come back in a limited or at least that's what the plans are. You know what's interesting? Are. You know it's you know it's interesting and this was not in relation to Mad Men. This was in relation to it was a What was the show with 
Katie Don uh, Tom Cruise's uh, Katie, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. What was, uh, it was. Uh, was that Party of Five? No, what, not, which not one was Party she on? of Five. It was. It was on. I think it was on the CW. There was. A, she did an interview. I think for either Vanity Fair or Entertainment Weekly, where there was a lot. There's been a lot of requests for doing a reunion show or reunion movie of this show and and the show itself is a coming of age show you, yeah. we, you know when they're in high school in their early 20s and so if you fast forward 10 10 years later they'd be in their 30s approaching 40 and she said well i can see the appeal nostalgia wise but i don't think it would be true to the show because the purpose of the show was to see them in that time dawson's creek dawson's creek thank you you know the the point is to see them in that time you don't want to see them when they're older well you know we did have a a period uh, what i think leave it to beaver really launched that although there had been a couple of uh you know a father knows best reunion and things like that in the 70s but leave it to beaver when they did uh the tv movie still the beaver it was very nostalgic people thought oh wow these characters went on to do other stuff and there was kind of a theme of the more things change to see Beaver as a father, and Beaver could not be Ward. You know, the, the kids were more sophisticated and more smarter than he was. Beaver but, was so, still the Beaver. Beaver was still the But it did launch, you know, I, I would say a successful first-run syndicated franchise of keeping things going. And then I think lately we have gone the way of, no, we don't want to do these TV movies or these nostalgia things. You know, because I don't think the networks know how to promote or amortize it. They'd rather show Five Nights of a reality show. Uh, and well, as far as a show like Mad Men, or specifically Mad Men, is concerned, I mean, it did skew toward a sophisticated television viewer. Mm-hmm. People who actually sat in front of the television and watched, yeah, didn't watch multitask. Right. Mm-hmm. You watched the show. Frankly, I'm satisfied with the ending, and I think anything more than that... They could. They could would, would not be good. Would, would not but. be good. I'm happy where the characters are. I see them going on. I know where they are in my imagination. Child of Television at blogspot.com. Child of Television at blogspot.com. Also, storysalon.com. Donna's four part novel series is now complete. Yes, it is. The last book, Fall Again Reunion, was published a few months ago. You'll see where the story finally ends. And to find out how the story begins and ends, go to fallagainseries.com. Tony and Donna, we'll see you both next time. Next, Next time. time. We'll play more of our conversation with Marv Wolf when we come back on TV Confidential. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 866-490-3991. 866-490-3991. 866-490-3991.
Ed Robertson, along with her friend Donna Allen Figueroa, who I understand has a new book out. Yes, it's entitled Fall Again Beginnings. It's the first part of a four-part contemporary romantic series uh, set against the background of working actors. Something that you know a a thing or two about. Well, you write what you know, and I have been working in the business for several years. It is not necessarily autobiographical, but it's based on... Sure, many of the experiences that the actors in my book have. Many have happened to me. Many have happened to friends of mine. It's not, if you're looking for Valley of the Dolls, it's not, it's grounded in reality. It is grounded in reality, and it's the first in a series. Yes. Called the Fall Again series. Fall Again. Which is available as a paperback as well as an ebook and in Kindle at fallagainseries.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit FrontPorchRealtyGroup.com for more information on how they can help you.